It's never been done before. So I need planning and large crew. Guns? Exactly. A lot of security. But the take? What's the target? Eight figures each. What's the target? When was the last time you were in Vegas? Welcome to the now-playing Ocean's Movie Retrospective Series. Why do this? Why not do it? When that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. That's why we have to be very careful, very precise. You gotta be nuts, too. And you're gonna need a crew as nuts as you are. Who do you got in mind? Hosted by Arnie. I owe you from the thing with the guy in the place, and I'll never forget it. Jacob. Who else is on the list? He is the list. You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. And Stuart. It'd be nice working with proper villains again. But what am I saying? You guys are pros. The best. I'm sure you can make it out of the casino. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. You're either in or you're out. Right now. Listener discretion is advised. So are you sure you're ready to do this? If you ever ask me that question again, Daniel, you will not wake up the following morning. Today we're discussing Ocean's 8, starring Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Anne Hathaway, Mindy Kaling, Sarah Paulson, Aquafina, not the, the water, water. <laughs> with Rihanna and Helena Bonham Carter, directed by Gary Ross. This is Arnie, co-host and now playing, and Stuart Jacob, I want you to remember, you're not doing this for me. You're not doing this for you. Somewhere out there is an eight-year-old dreaming of being a podcaster. Let's do it for them. <laughs> Indeed. This is Stuart. Oh, we're using our real names? Because this is Sparklets. But I, I guess you know me by Jacob. <laughs> I saw that Aquafina. I'm like, you don't call yourself Aquafina unless you're a rapper. I guess she is a rapper. I looked it up <laughs> later. She has put out some rap albums. Yes. Her big hit is called My Vag. <laughs> I didn't listen to any of it. I just saw that she was a rapper. <laughs> Ocean's 8. I had one question coming into this, and I have an answer. But my question was, why? Not why make an all-female heist film. Not why continue the Ocean's film. But why make an all-female Ocean's film without Steven Soderbergh? He's producing. He's quasi here. But yeah. Because Ghostbusters 2016 was a big hit? Oh, wait, no. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things to talk about when you come up with a concept about rebooting that involves gender flip. I mean, is that really a creative decision or is that the lack of a creative decision? I mean, I think it's arguable. Sometimes it feels like desperation. But we are in interesting times with Me Too and women empowerment and Wonder Woman sort of revitalizing the superhero genre. Maybe it is the right instinct to present an all-female crime team, and Soderbergh was done, right? I mean, it was clear from Ocean's 13, he, Clooney, all those guys, after Bernie Mac died, for sure, they weren't going to make another one with that team. My question would be, why not reboot? Why 
sequel or spinoff or whatever this is. It's really a sequel. I mean, we get a couple people back from it. Yeah, this is still in the universe of Ocean's Eleven. It's just one of those sequels where none of the stars come. I think that if you were trying to find new stars of today that were male that could have that same swagger and moxie of Sinatra or Clooney, you would really struggle. I mean, Zac Efron is, is, is no <laughs> leader of any Rat Pack. Well, here's the story behind this movie, and it all comes down to this director, Gary Ross. Mm. Does he mean much to you? Because he didn't to me. I had to look him up. Hunger Games. He was kicked out of that. But yes, he kicked <laughs> it off with the first one. Pleasantville, another movie I don't like. Seabiscuit. Yeah. Haven't seen it. <laughs> Free State of Jones. I have not seen it, but my God, that trailer was insipid. Skipped it. He wrote big. I think that's his claim to fame. Oh, I like that one. Okay. <laughs> well, this actually came before Me Too, before Wonder Woman. Gary kicked this off right after Hunger Games won. Is he apparently, I'm just going to quote him, it's out on YouTube. He was surprised and unexpected at the female reaction to that movie, the way it empowered girls to really circle around. And so he was starting to think that it would be a good idea to do another female-oriented film and try to bring that up. And Ross is old friends with Soderbergh. And so five years ago, he went to Soderbergh and said, what about an all-female Oceans film? And let's do Sandra Bullock, because Bullock did Gravity with George Clooney. And in an interview, Bullock said, George and I kind of have a brother-sister relationship on the set. And he's like, Sandra Bullock should be George Clooney's sister. And Steve, we're good friends. Let's do it. And let's go to Sandra Bullock. And Bullock said she'd do it if they had a good script and a big ensemble cast like Gary was pitching. Took five years to get a script, to get the cast, to get the timing. But it went into active production before the Ghostbusters reboot in 2016. And the Ghostbusters reboot didn't have them pull the plug. Yeah, but they had to be thinking about that. That was certainly a movie that, whatever you think about it, and I think it's a good film. I feel like it was prejudged. Before anyone saw it, it was hated upon because it was perceived by some, a small segment perhaps, but enough to fill the internet with the idea that women taking over men's roles feels in some way disrespectful. I was thinking about this because... Mad Max Fury wrote, ooh, they have a girl in it that's taking charge. And then Ghostbusters 2016, oh, girls. And then... Don't forget The Force Awakens. Yeah, I was just about to bring up Star Wars. Ooh, girls are in charge. I guess Oceans just isn't a geek property that geeks care about because I didn't hear about any backlash. Like, I was kind of expecting that, but I saw a trailer for this, and that's about all I ever heard of it until I walked in the theater. It isn't loved in the same way. It doesn't have the same fanboy, probably generationally, it, it skews older. It's an adult entertainment. I can't imagine a lot of kids or even young teens wanting to see any Oceans movie, but it is a guy's movie. That energy is all masculine. So to say it's all going to be feminine, I think it will probably rub some people wrong, but probably there's not enough of that contingent that would be angry that would be a fan of the Oceans film. Yeah, I did not know a whole lot about this going in. It's a big summer so far for franchise films, and this one, it opened at number one, but it's been an underdog. I mean, it opened at number one at 40 million. Uh, Solo did better than that. <laughs> Solo also bombed, which is why he was able to beat it in the second week. <laughs> but if you look at the box office take of all the Oceans movies, that's on par. 
That's what they always do. They open at 40. The first one went on to gross like 180. The others top out about 120. That's probably what this one will do. Well, it is a franchise high for the opening, but not adjusted for inflation. Ocean's 12 made the same amount, like 1 million less in 2004 dollars. Right. And this was IMAX. Well, yeah, I saw that. Why was this IMAX? Because Solo bombed. Solo would so have just squatted on IMAX, except it was weak. There was blood in the water. And so IMAX theaters, since most theaters have at most one IMAX screen, we're like, let's get something in there people will mm, pay to kinda see. Like, kind of like in humans getting pulled. Ow, <laughs> I wondered why it was in IMAX. And that's what I actually went to see. It was just a convenience of time. And it just sort of made sense that that would be the one that I would see. I was just coming back from vacation. So I couldn't believe it was in IMAX. And I'm just going to go ahead and preface and say, you really don't need to see it in that format. It gains nothing by being there. No, I can't imagine. I also saw this in IMAX because that's just what I do. If a movie's in IMAX, I'm going to go see it in IMAX and realize, wow, did I waste that extra money? (laughs) I was behind three old ladies in line who were like, (laughs) what's IMAX? And it was a Monday night because Stuart decided he needed a vacation. Like, I get one. I'm editing. But (laughs) not that I'm bitter you got two weeks off or anything. But I went on a Monday night. And again, three old ladies in front of me. What's IMAX mean? Well, it has the best picture and sound. It has surround sound. I'm like, are you saying all your other theaters suck, clerk? I don't understand you. And then he's like, but it's $4 more. $4 more? No, we're taking the $8 tickets. (laughs) I stood behind them for 10 minutes as they decided to take the cheap tickets. I mean, I'll sometimes do it and and not regret it, but just this one visually. I mean, the Ocean movies can look great. The Clooney Ocean's 11 and 13 had their own visual style. 12 looked like crap and it wouldn't would not have looked good. It's easily the worst looking one of them all. But this movie doesn't have a lot of flair and a lot of visual style. I just don't think that even if it weren't about money, if it were free, I just don't see what you get out of going to an IMAX presentation of this film. Opening shots of New York looked great on the giant screen. I mean, that's like three seconds of the film. (laughs) Yes, yes it is. But I did see it IMAX Monday night after its opening weekend. But there were five people in the theater at the 7 p.m. showing, me and two couples around my age. And as a kid, I would always know before a movie if I'm going to like the movie. I'm saying when I was eight, ten years old, the trailers for the other movies would tell me if I'm going to like this movie. And the trailers behind Ocean's 8 were a whole bunch of trailers I'd never seen before because they're not playing before Avengers. They're not playing before Solo. Peppermint? which is Jennifer Garner in what looks like a better Electra. I don't even know what this is. I got to the theater late. I missed some of the trailer. Mama Mia, Here We Go Again. Oh, God. Girl in the Spider's Web. Yeah, okay. I had that one. Widows, about five wives of people who stole money getting guns to keep the money. I actually wanted to see that film. I haven't seen the trailer. Did you have that one starring Lady Gaga where she says, I don't have a face. They'll never make me a music star. Yes, A Star is Born. It was playing. Yeah, and I just cracked up. I'm like, you're Lady Gaga. You are a music star. This movie is a lie. And she's actually really attractive when she's not wearing meat. It looks surprisingly good. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I'm not a Gaga fan. I'm curious about it. Cooper directing and doing that Southern drawl that he had no director to tell him it's not quite working for you. (laughs) It's going to be better than the Chris Christopherson, Barbara Streisand one. I can promise you that. And the final trailer, Crazy Rich Asians. 
Yeah, which stars Aquafina. And you know what? I want to see it a whole lot more now that I've seen Ocean's Eight. You big Aquafina fan now? I might be. She is. Go- I'm just gonna go ahead and say she is my favorite of the year. <laughs> What's that song, Arnie? You're, you're gonna what? Grab her pussy. My badge. Oh, her badge. Okay. <laughs> Did she co-write it with Margaret Cho? <laughs> Sounds like a Margaret Cho joke. What I'm saying is none of those trailers are aimed at me. That doesn't mean that I didn't walk away going, I really want to see Peppermint and Widows and. Girl in the Spider's Web, a little bit less on Mamma Mia and Crazy Rich Asians. But this movie is targeting very specifically a female demographic who wants movies like Atomic Blonde. I mean, I look at Peppermint, Girl in the Spider's Web, and Widows. They want women kicking ass, or at least that's what the marketers think. I like that genre. I want women kicking ass in films, too. I'm all for that. And I think we're in that era. I mean, I think you can feel it with Me Too. There is something about women taking power. Yeah, it's a time to talk about what it looks like to see women in power. This could be a movie to add to that conversation. But it did arrive without a whole lot of hype in my mind. I didn't know about the controversy. I didn't know there was a petition because Matt Damon had filmed the scene for it. No, I didn't know about that either. No, I did not know. Yeah, he filmed a cameo and then it came to light that he and Russell Crowe teamed up to kill a New York Times story about Weinstein's sexual harassment back in 2004. And they said in light of Me Too, that having Damon in an all-female film would undermine the message and got 29,000 signatures. And guess what? We didn't see Damon in the film. Ah. It only took 29,000? Yeah, apparently. And I walked out of there going, why didn't Matt Damon do a cameo? I know why Clooney didn't. I know why Pitt didn't. But freaking Matt Damon is cameoing in every movie lately. <laughs> that is true. He's in Thor. He's in Deadpool. Deadpool, yeah. Why wouldn't he cameo in this? Why wasn't Clooney or Pitt showing up? I mean, they only got two cameos of the original cast here. Yeah, there were four filmed. Matt Damon and Carl Reiner were both filmed and cut. He's still alive. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> And why couldn't they get the others? According to Sandra Bullock, she did call George Clooney and kind of got his blessing to do the film. But I can also imagine George Clooney's picking his own projects right now, directing most of his own projects right now. I saw Suburbicon. He should get in front of the camera, not behind it. Uh, Yeah, agreed on that one. But they may be setting it up for his return. I'm not convinced there won't be a Danny Ocean return. Oh, yeah. I don't buy what they're selling us here. This one is not about the guys. So it's not about the cameos. It's not about trying to have us remember the old times. It's about setting a new tone with a new cast. And I just want to say, I wasn't very excited to see this film. What kept my enthusiasm is I think that they did get a spectacular array of female actresses here. I do think I'm a fan of many of them. And it just seems like if this storyline looks a little tired, they're going to help me find some fun in it. Kate Blanchett, particularly an actress I really admire. Yeah, I saw this Monday as well. But yeah, I just saw it in a regular theater. I was surprised that it was a third full. Way more people than I thought would be there on a Monday afternoon. I think it's being considered a modest hit, at least in its opening. We'll see if it has any legs. Cost $70 million to make. It's doing well overseas. It's made $60 million in four days global. It's going to at least break even. Is it good enough for Ocean's 9? Time will tell. Well, let's get into it, Arnie. Give him the plot. We'll find out about the heist of Ocean's 8. Sandra Bullock plays Debbie Ocean, sister to the now presumably deceased star of the first three films, Danny Ocean. Debbie is just finishing up a five-year stint in jail for helping her boyfriend, Claude Becker, played by Richard Armitage, sell fraudulent art. 
Claude testified against Debbie and got off scot-free. Now Debbie is out and wants revenge and to hit a big score, so she calls up her partner in crime, Lou, played by Kate Blanchett, and reveals her plan to use the annual Met Gala to steal a Cartier necklace called the Toussaint, worth $150 million. To assist on such a job, they recruit indebted fashion designer Rose Well, played by Helena Bonham Carter, jeweler Amita, played by Mindy Kaling, hacker Nineball, played by Rihanna, Pickpocket Constance, played by Aquafina, and Fence Tammy, played by Sarah Paulson. The scheme is to have Rose become the dress designer for celebrity actress Daphne Kluger, played by Anne Hathaway. Can I just say how I hate this movie has Daphne and Debbie? It's confusing as fuck. Daphne's dress will be accentuated with the $150 million necklace. The job goes off nearly flawlessly. Tammy uses a 3D printer to make a cubic zirconium copy of the necklace. Lou poses as a nutritionist and taints Daphne's dinner at the gala. Constance pretends to be a waitress and steals Daphne's necklace. Amita pretended to be a dishwasher and set up a station in a restroom to cut the necklace into pieces. And each of the women walked out of the gala with part of the necklace on display as earrings or a bracelet. More, Debbie arranged it so Claude was Daphne's date to the gala, and they plant some of the stolen diamonds on the art dealer. But as the necklace was worth so much, insurance fraud investigator John Frazier, played by James Corden, gets to work. And Daphne has figured out what the women were up to, so she demands to be part of the crew, Ocean's 8th. In exchange for a cut, she will continue to help them frame Claude, who goes to jail for the theft, even though Frazier seems to know Ocean was the real culprit. And then in a final twist, Debbie reveals that she and Lou had stolen even more jewels. An exhibit of historical fashion of European royalty, including a lot of jewelry, was also on display at the Met. With the help of returning character Acrobat Yen, played by Xiaobo Kin, they also replaced all those jewels with 3D printed fakes. Each of the eight ladies gets over $30 million as their cut, and seven of them live out their dreams while Debbie Ocean just goes to her brother's grave to sip a martini as credits roll. That's right. Danny Ocean is dead. We learned that pretty early on, and I think it's... Bullcrap. I think, you know, it could be a ruse. We spend the whole movie waiting for a Clooney cameo that never comes. I thought that martini was for him. I thought for sure. I knew nothing about this movie going in. I didn't even see the second trailer that apparently spoiled the fact that Daphne Kluger becomes the eighth. I'm sitting in there, like... In my notes, constantly like, I'm only counting seven. I'm only counting seven. Apparently the trailer revealed it, but I thought for sure there would be a handing of the baton. I knew about gravity. I know Bullock and Clooney travel in the same circles. He's known to film secret appearances. He did it like once or twice on ER, super secret last minute appearances where he came to help Juliana Margulies' character say goodbye and showed up near the end of the series. And nobody knew these scenes were coming until they aired. I thought we would see him. And they do play coy. Do you think he's really dead? Uh, Not really sure. It depends on if Clooney wants to come back ever, right? If he'll show up on the set, Danny's not dead. And if not, they've found a way to conveniently write him off. It's morbid, though. I mean, I like that old crew. I really do. I still have fond memories of them, despite the two sequels. It's really easy to remember that old crew, too, because they're going to open this movie the same way as that Ocean's Eleven. Like, I've talked about this before. Don't remind me of a good movie if your movie's not going to be as good. Yeah, opening in the prison with the parole and saying you're going to go straight, and this time it's Bullock instead of Clooney. Yeah, it's 
exactly the same opening, hitting the same beats. It's going to divert pretty quickly, but it is going to start with that same opening gambit. So I am disappointed Clooney did not come back for this, but the era is gone. I mean, they were at the tail end of the whole swing dancing cigar bar. Remember the Rat Pack 90s era to begin with. That is dead. They have to do something different. One of the reasons why they couldn't reboot it 2018 is because there's no nostalgia for that era right now. You have to go with a different vibe. And that was one thing I was wondering going into this because I am a man. So if there's a whole kind of scene like that for women that would be reminiscent of what Clooney and that group brought to Ocean's Eleven, I'm just not tapped into that. So I did feel like maybe there's something I'm not getting here because at times I feel like they are just trying to do that Rat Pack thing again. Like I feel like when Kate Blanchett shows up, oh yeah, she's obviously the Brad Pitt of this group. And I, I feel like, are they hitting those beats or is there something I'm just missing? Like Housewives of Atlanta or something. I don't watch it. Maybe they're tapping into that. I don't know. There were women in that Clooney trilogy. <laughs> we just didn't like them. They could have written this so that Clooney got killed and Julia Roberts was going to avenge his death, right? We don't want Tess coming back. But that problem is, is that she was the worst aspect of those films. And it really is like Sandra Bullock finally wins, right? She was always in that battle about who's America's sweetheart, Coke versus Pepsi, Julia versus Sandra. Bullock gets it. She is more delightful in 2018 than Julia Roberts could ever hope to be. I never knew that was a thing. I mean, Bullock really came out after Robert's heyday. Yeah, she was the hanger-on. She was the Christina Aguilera to her Britney Spears. I remember seeing Bullock in theaters in Demolition Man years after Pretty Woman was out, and speed was her breakthrough. Yeah, Roberts had about a five-year head start on the title, and then, yeah, here comes this upstart to take her crown, and they were locked in a battle. I mean, I don't know that it was ever, like, a tabloid thing where they genuinely didn't like each other. My impression is Sandra Bullock is very easy to get along with, and like everybody but the perception of star power it seemed like Bullock always was second stringer Julia got her Oscar first Julia had the parts picked over and and whatever she didn't take could go to Sandra I would argue at this point the fact that Sandra Bullock can lead this team means that she is the bigger star now and I like her more I mean she just seems more friendly I've never thought Bullock was a great actress I don't believe she deserved that Oscar but I wouldn't deny it to her because she just comes off as very appealing she's a very likable personality and that holds her here I never want to see Crash or The Blind Side but yeah give me a choice between Bullock and Roberts I'm gonna go with Bullock yeah, I agree completely I've always liked Bullock a lot I remember seeing her even way back in Love Potion number nine and thinking she had an it factor that was better than that movie. You were right. <laughs> I knew when I saw her in Demolition Man, she'd be something. And she really goes far with that image that she is so likable that you could kick back and have a beer with her, you know, and just chat and not feel in the shadow of a star. And so she rode that a long time, but she's been picking less commercial projects lately. She did The Blind Side, got the Oscar. She did Gravity, which is a great film, but it doesn't have summer movie painted on it. Yeah, she did that awful 9-11 movie with Tom Hanks. Don't see that. I've heard bad things. Incredibly bad and incredibly oh, close. Oh, that one. Whatever it was yeah. called. Yes, oof. Dog shit. 
But, you know, my point is you need someone likable here because if you're going to see a con artist, that can rub you the wrong way. If you don't instantly like the person and you see them taking advantage of the system, robbing stores and cheating people out of hotel room money, all of that, it could rub you wrong. But I like her and I don't mind the fact that emerging out of prison, she's instantly on the graph. She gives a lie to her parole officer. She's immediately back on the take. She's been plotting for all her five years of prison on doing what she's about to do. I am worried that we're going to see an uptick in female crime because I'm watching this with my wife and you get to that scene where she takes some stuff off the shelf and then she tries to return it. And they're like, we won't take that. You, you'll have to leave. And she's like, OK, I'll just leave with all my stuff. My wife's like, that's a good one. I got to try that. I'm like, please don't. Please don't try it. I don't want to have to post bail. <laughs> yeah, that is a pretty good scam. And having had to return stuff without receipts, I know that uphill battle. And yeah, I guess you could just walk out of certain stores like that. But she is likable. Now, I am going to propose a drinking game, though. Take a shot when this is on home video. Don't take, like, a bottle into the theater. Take a <laughs> shot every time you think Sandra Bullock's eyebrows should move, and they never do. I was fixated by the stationary eyebrows. Even Kate Blanchett's eyebrows wiggle a little. But Sandra Bullock is very stone-faced in this film. It's called Botox, right? Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I was blown away by her hair. I'm like, damn, prison got a good hairdresser because you just came out with some lit hair. Oh, that entire outfit she walks out in. <laughs> and being a movie about women, I know how women are about their size. I'm trying not to be sexist, but this no. is a movie about women. So I'm trying not to draw on those stereotypes, though. But Right, but I read about Anne Hathaway, who w talked about coming in in her post-baby body. And Anne Hathaway feeling like she was a whale on this set. And I've seen her in this movie now. She does not look like a whale. So when I'm thinking with these things in my mind, I'm like, well, she still fit into that dress she did five years before prison. She still looks banging in it. And she walks right out of there looking like she's about to go for a night on the town. I think it's more nightclub dress than shopping dress, but it works for her to grift a hotel room and get some makeup. You see, that's another female thing, right? I'm trying not to stereotype, but what does she immediately steal? Lipstick, perfume. And that's where I'm at, because like, you know, money, that's a universal thing. Everyone needs money. I'm like, oh, they're doing the female thing and they're getting makeup and I don't want to come off the wrong way. I'm just, am I seeing too much of it because it's a female group or, you know, I want realistic characters. So I, I'm going to try to just focus Focus on how these characters are written. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes, particularly if something is all female, we tend to think of, well, there must be a feminist message here. I don't think there really is. This is about just giving female actresses more time on screen, letting them play, letting them have fun like the boys did. But I don't see that these characters are going to be drawing on stronger images of, of women. These are no icons. In many cases, these are rather thin characters here. I think a lot of times they're underdeveloped. I wish that I was watching this at home so that I could pause. Because at one point early on here, she's in her fancy hotel room. She's taking a bubble bath. She's holding a list of 14 items. And I wish I understood understood or could go back after having seen the movie and go point by point to see what they are. They're codes. She says BFF, Uncle Monty. I got the first couple, but I don't see correlations with what she does for the rest of the movie. I said before we got in this movie, why is this not Ocean's 14? That would make sense after Ocean's 13. And then I saw that list. I'm like, damn, they're going to address my concern that there's not 14 people in this. No, not really. Like, she'll look at that list later on. But yeah, I didn't know if it was a to-do list, a list of people she needed for this heist. 
That's what I was thinking the exact same thing. I thought it might be a name of people that she was going to call. And yeah, I saw 14. I'm like, well, no, there's supposed to be eight. And when we get back to it later, this was the code she gave herself for how to pull this heist because she's been planning it the whole time she was in prison. She was sent to solitary, we're going to find out. And she realized that she just could chew over 18 different ways how to do this. One of her first stops when she gets out, though, is her brother's grave. That's where we get to see a returning character come out from the shadows. He was hanging out behind a corner at... For how long was he hanging out there? <laughs> Probably ever since making Ocean's 13. I mean, who cares about <laughs> Elliot Gould at this yeah. point? It's not the 70s anymore. We didn't even care about him in those Clooney movies. But he's there to say, Danny doesn't want you to do this. Isn't it enough just to know that it would work? And she's spent five years just planning this scheme. It's not the kind of scheme that would take five years to plan. I don't know what she did for the other four years because this thing, it's not as complicated as you would expect. And I guess they're telling us that with the reduced number because it doesn't take 11 people. And in fact, I don't even think you need eight people. I think she could have probably pulled it (laughs) off with five. She calls on some of them because of her friend. I don't think she really needed Kate Blanchett who ends up just poisoning some soup. But they are such a good pairing together. And I do like Kate Blanchett. And she just has a good vibe with Bullet. Do they play in galas this far in advance? She'd been doing this for five years. She had to know this was coming. Well, it's the annual Met Gala. They do this every single year and it's a real event. Okay. But mm, the crown jewels and all that. I guess they do this with all these Oceans films. There's a lot of convenient things that just happen. Absolutely. All right. When we talk about... When we talk about Debbie and Lou, I have to ask, because I got this impression. Were they lovers at one point? I think they talk about experimentation in college. We clearly see that Sandra Bullock has been with men, was burned by a man, is planning this heist around getting back at that man. But yeah, I do think there's an interesting energy between them that's sexual. I don't know if it's all in my mind or not, but I really, I imagined it. I imagined that these two would hook up and have fun. The thing that got me is, first of all, obviously, Kate Blanchett is playing Lou as a lesbian. But at one point, Tammy, Sarah Paulson, is asking Debbie, how'd this happen with Claude? And she says, Lou and I were going through a rough patch. So this sounds to me like she and Lou were kind of on the skids. And so she went and found another person. Yeah, that's kind of how it comes across. We'll see a flashback that shows that they were still hanging out. They were working like bingo parlors or whatever. They've been in each other's life for a long time. So whether it was a rough patch while they were working New Jersey bingo parlors, that sounds rough to me. Or if that was an indication of their romantic relationship, it's nebulous by design, but they have the kind of chemistry that feels like ex-lovers that are working together on a new job. I don't know. You, I think people read that in there because it's females. I didn't think of that of Clooney and Pitts. No, I saw the same thing in Rogue One, and you guys gave me shit for seeing it there between two guys, and I just saw the same thing here with two women, and I didn't see it until they said the words rough patch. And the thing is, I don't care either way. It's just, oh, okay, well, let's make the hot chicks uh, lesbians. That's just such a typical thing in Hollywood. If you're going to do that, you wouldn't make Kate Blanchett one of them. Are you still dissing her? Yes, I'm still dissing her. You've gone back and forth on her. Sometimes you're on the record saying, I really like her. And the other times, the aviator. I don't even know where you stand anymore. She was great in Ragnarok. Yeah, exactly. She's the best part of this film. (laughs) 
She's a lot of fun here. I wish there was more for her to do, and I'm going to say that about just about every other character. Everyone! Yeah. The problem here is not that this cast is in every bit the equal of Clooney's Oceans cast. They got the same moxie. They have the same number of Oscars. They are just as worthy, but they aren't featured as well. The heist isn't that as intricate, and they don't get any good line. No. They don't get any getting good repartee. This is not a funny movie. At least that first Ocean's Eleven, that, that is a fun time. This? Yes. I laughed once, and that's when James Corden ends up showing up. Like, it's not even with this cast of females. And Mindy... Kaling, like I loved her on The Office. She was hilarious on that show. I just, this crew, there's no character or personality to them. I feel like they are all types. Kate is all about style and cool. Like, she's my favorite character here, but I couldn't tell you what her actual character is. I had real trouble getting names for most of the characters in this. I was writing down for the sub-characters like Aquafina. I just kept writing down Pickpocket. And I didn't recognize Rihanna under all the dreads and everything, but I did catch her name being Nineball, very memorable. But yeah, in Ocean's Eleven, everybody had their moment. I don't feel that's the case here. I feel this is Sandra Bullock, Anne Hathaway, and the rest. Kate Blanchett is actually second build above Anne Hathaway, but I don't feel she is utilized as well. Even the drama in the group isn't here. I think about that Ocean's Eleven. Can we trust Clooney? Because now this is personal with Tess and Andy Garcia's character and Matt Damon. He kind of is iffy and he has to be told to, you know, to get on board with this. I just don't feel like there's any conflict with this group. And there's no Andy Garcia in this film. That's the other problem. There is no antagonist for them to work against. There is an Andy Garcia here. He just doesn't get any screen time. But I believe Sandra Bullock's lover. That's like if Tess was a bad guy. Early on, there's one scene where she approaches him in an art gallery with a shiv. But he is not a part of this movie for the rest of it. He has maybe all of five minutes of screen time. And certainly Andy Garcia got more than that in Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, he's never doing anything to try to unravel this plot like Garcia is. He knows Ocean's up to something. He's trying to stop them. No one trying to stop him here. No, the only thing we have close to that is when James Corden comes in way too late. Yeah, in the third act. <laughs> I thought for sure when we saw Debbie go to Claude with that shiv made out of a toothbrush. I liked that little touch and that it was actually sharp enough to cut threads off a button, but I thought they were going to replay part one, the way Clooney went back to Julia Roberts and ended up winning him back, but here, no, it's the opposite. She's out for revenge. So they're turning an expectation on that one. Yeah, I would say they're hitting those same beats, but okay. But I do have to ask this. Like you said, Jacob, I would classify the three previous Ocean films, or all four, really, as comedies. What would this one be classified as? Drama? Crime film. No, it's a comedy that's not very funny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? (laughs) It's a comedy that's not very sharp with its wit. The shiv is sharper than the script. Its targets are very easy. Anne Hathaway as a starlet, and they're going to steal her necklace. Exploiting the fashion industry, she already did this a decade ago in Devil Wears Prada. I don't know what she hopes to do by returning to it. This is not going to dig any deeper. And they certainly don't have any Meryl Streep-sized roles for villains here. So that's what they kind of needed to do. They are going to ultimately show that Anne Hathaway is part of the team, but they could have made Daphne more of the Andy Garcia and had her more deserving of being ripped off. But what they're ripping off isn't even hers. But what Anne Hathaway said she was doing in this film is making fun more of the celebutant culture and ditzy actresses. She said the difference between her and her character is her character 
would be her if she thought fame was real. And in real life, she thinks fame is this illusion that doesn't really exist. And she was trying to make fun of her early reputation as an actress when she got a really bitchy reputation early on in her career. And she was kind of making fun of that, not the fashion industry. The fact that the fashion industry is involved, truthfully, it makes me wish that we'd switched ourselves out with female cast so Marjorie could sit here because she would have gotten a lot more out of the cameos in this movie than I did. I had to look all these people up. I mean, I watched Project Runway. I didn't see no Michael Kors here, but what's her name? That's Mary Seal shows up at one point. Heidi Klum. I knew Heidi Klum. Kardashians, everyone knows. And certainly Anna Wintour is, you know, she was the character that Meryl Streep based her character on in Devil Wears Prada. I had no idea who Heidi Klum was. I had no idea who... I thought she might have been an antagonist. I, I like watching this movie getting none of it. I got Serena Williams because they said Serena Williams. <laughs> well, be that as it may, I just don't think you need to know anything about the fashion industry to go as deep as these people do. It's just surface and superficial. And the jokes aren't really that sharp. There's nothing funny about the fashion industry here. Like, if you're really into it, you're getting a bunch of inside jokes. It's like, no, Rose made some stewardess outfits and that's her fashion. And so she's washed up because it's really ugly. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, let's talk about the plot because that's where I think they should be focusing on is what is this heist? The gimmick is, the lie is, it's, we'll find out in the end, it's not true. The lie is they're not ripping off a place, they're ripping off a person in a place. They're only focused on one set of jewels that are going to be on the neck of Daphne Kluger, this Hollywood starlet who we don't like very much because she seems vacuous. And so we don't mind that she's going to take this hit. Unfortunately, I find Anne Hathaway to be so likable in everything. She's very likable here. Yeah, agreed. And ultimately, we are to like her. She will be the eighth member. That was spoiled for me by a still photograph. I was doing the math. I'm like, she must be the eighth because I saw that photo of them all sitting around somewhere. Yeah, I didn't see that photo. And I'm just constantly doing math. At one point, they call in Nineball's sister. I'm like, she's the eighth. Oh, wait, no, she's gone again. Is that the eighth? What they're exploiting here is how do you court a Hollywood starlet how are you going to manipulate her so that she ends up handing you over these jewels or how does she even end up wearing these jewels you start with the fashion designer and that means going to helena bottom carter who i haven't seen in a long time when i think of her i think specifically of fight club and if i'm in a less flattering mood i think of planet Planet of of the the apes Apes. (laughs) but here's something else i think this film doesn't do as well as oceans 11 oceans 11 the crew had all worked together Pitt and Clooney knew these guys, and they had, with the exception of Linus, and they worked with Linus's father, and they made a big plot point of Linus being the outsider. But here, they're approaching a fashion designer they don't know, and hoping immediately she'll go along with grand larceny to pay off her tax debt, and she does. This is the biggest gimme for the film, and this is a film that has, like, magic glasses that can scan anything. (laughs) The fact that, yeah, they are able to get a fashion designer that is not involved in their group. Okay, she's in a lot of debt. Maybe you could convince her, hey, you'll get a few million off of this. But the fact that they're able to get her to actually have Daphne as a client, okay, you're making me have to buy in a lot here because Rose does not have that charm as if like uh, Brad Pitt came in and tried to get this client. It's just, she's playing Helena Bottom Carter at this point. She's just herself, just crazy Helena Bottom Carter. Yeah, and I think that would have been something to exploit is maybe people are doing it for different reasons and maybe they aren't going to go through with it. I think this movie's plot is so 
simplistic that it really needed more nuance. It really needed more plots within plots. And that might have been something to really play with. At one point, Helena Bonham Carter almost refuses the piece of necklace at the end. You get the sense that maybe she doesn't want to be a part of this. But if that was a real element of her character, it goes way underexplored. And I think that this movie could have explored all these characters more. We spent a lot of time building the team. You said, let's talk about the plot. What we're really going to talk about is how each character is introduced. Right. And in my mind, when we meet Constance, played by Aquafina, she's doing three-card Monty. And it really hit me that the old Oceans films were a game of three-card Monty. You were constantly trying to keep your eye on where that card was, and Soderbergh fooled you Almost every time, especially in Ocean's Eleven, you lost that card. The card wasn't even on the table anymore. He'd palmed that card and replaced it with another one. You could not win. And it made you feel great. Here, I literally feel like we're playing Go Fish because we're just getting people together. And admittedly, there are some funny moments of this. The cast is good. There are just little asides that are had that I smile during. Like, we need a hacker. Are all hackers Russian? Are all Russians hackers? I mean, I like that little bit of, you know, right now, since we're still talking about Russian hacking, that it's funny to me to think that they don't want a Russian hacker, but that's how they do bring in Rihanna. To get someone that's really good at three-card Monty, that's your criteria. And again, I smiled. I'm not laughing a whole lot in this film, but I smiled when they're in the subway and constant steals both their watches that was kind of oh, okay i thought that was a subway product placement oh yeah it was yeah i think there are characters that i like seeing because they have good energy and they are the more funny ones but they also usually seem to be the less necessary to what's actually being pulled off like they need helena bonham carter almost everything hinges on the fact of her landing this gig to dress this woman in the cartier jewels I mean, that's got to happen in order for anything else to happen. But Helena Bonham Carter is one of the least entertaining of the cast. No, she sits around with her eyes wide open like she's high most of this film. Eating Nutella because her runway show flopped is, that's it. That's what she's been given to do. And that's too bad because we know Helena Bonham Carter can do more than that. Oscar-nominated actress. She can be funny. She can be dramatic. She can do whatever the part requires. But this is a movie that's just not well written. I'm glad she was able to pull off being a fashion designer, albeit a quirky fashion designer. To see her play something other than goth, to see her play fashion was against type in my mind for her. I know she's done period pieces, but that's just, again, I've told you what I think of her and where I think of her from. But nobody here is given enough to do. It really does kind of suck that Aquafina is Constance. I'm still not entirely sure why you needed a pickpocket at all. The things she does feel like they could have been done by anyone on the team. The jeweler who comes in, Mindy Kaling. I'm iffy on Mindy Kaling. Sometimes I like her, sometimes I don't. I do like her here, but... I don't know that she was really that necessary to the team. She's absolutely not necessary to the team. You hire a jeweler to make the fake jewels, except they have a 3D printer. So we don't need you. I don't know why you're here at all. You know, she had to turn all the jewelry into other jewelry. That was her whole part of this plan. Like, get some wire cutters. Yeah, you couldn't put it in a purse? Yeah, I, again, yeah. That's, that's needlessly complicated. You don't need her at all. You only need her because she's going to bring something new and interesting. And she does at least change the demographic. You look at Bullock, you look at Hathaway, you look at Blanchett, you're seeing gilded Oscar-nominated white ladies. Minnie Kaling is not 
up for Oscar. She's just a little bit more round and brown and, and a different energy. That's fun. I think you needed that, except they don't set her free. Her character seems to be that she's needing a man. And that she's at home living off her mom, and the whole thing is about she's got to learn how to use Tinder to get a man. See, and it's that uh, that's another one of the asides I really liked, is when you had Constance teaching Amita to use Tinder. It goes nowhere. It is merely just an insert, but it's those little moments of camaraderie that this film has too few of where I smile broadest. And you could make the argument a female-centric heist movie should be more about character details. Chick flicks, in general, the stereotype at the very least is that women care more about relationships and men care more about the mechanics and so maybe a heist movie should be more about the female empowerment relationships except even those that get short shrift in this movie i don't feel like they're there that much the fact that kayling's like oh should i send it a eggplant emoji that's gonna be real dated i think we're gonna find another emoji <laughs> to represent a dick in a few years but what i liked about kaling in the office is yes she's indian but she played like a dumb blonde so it totally went against that expectation and the fact that they just got her back here you know with the overburdening mother who you got to get a husband it takes all that energy that she brought away i disagree completely i mean it's stereotypical it's not unique yes it's an ethnic stereotype but i think that amita is a fun character in that way and she's the only one like that it's not like this is all four people are trying to get a guy in fact there's not a lot of men in this film the interview i saw with them one interviewer said there's no love story and sandra bullock corrected them no there is one love story there's one guy in here that there is a past romance with becker but the rest of these sisters are doing it for themselves. I mean, Tammy is Sarah Paulson, an actress who she looks familiar. I think I've seen her on more talk shows than movies. I saw 12 Years a Slave. That's the only thing she's been in. Yeah, that's the only thing I... Marsha Clark! Oh, she's... That's her! Yeah, come oh, on! Okay, yes, okay. She kills on television. She's always in every Ryan Murphy TV show. She's always on American Horror Story. Yeah, I noticed she was on that and Nip Talk, but... Here, she is a married suburban housewife. We get to see each of her kids once, just enough to tell us they're terrible, but we never see her husband. She never calls her husband. The husband never wonders why she's gone to New York for the weekend. Does he wonder why she has a garage full of, like, segways and stolen goods, dishwashers? They explain that one. Oh, yeah, she eBays. Yes. Here's the thing, as fantastical as these ocean films are, there's got to be some kind of grounding. And my thought is, okay, they're going to steal these like super expensive diamonds. That's cool. How are they going to sell them? How are they going to make money? You got to have a fence for this kind of thing. And so, yes, okay, they brought in a fence. And they do make the point as they're looking at candidates. They pull out a headshot of a guy and Bullock's character makes clear that she doesn't want a male. Not because she's a man hater, but because hims get noticed and hers are ignored. Which is kind of true, but not when you're talking about fashion. I'm like, if this is a fashion event, that's a her event. Women are always the center of attention in that world. Men are secondary. It might be true that their intellectual contributions in a board meeting might be dismissed. But I do think a man would be more invisible at this gala. I think, though, for what Tammy does, a man working at Vogue would be more noticed. Because it would be primarily a female workforce. 
Did she have a hook up there? Because again, a lot of give me's with the Rose character having to land this client, make this dress, and then this one getting hired. Again, I know they did that with Bernie Mac, and I think the Mormon twins, they all got jobs at the casino, but there's just something more believable here. Here, a lot of happenstance, I feel like. There's a sly aside about the person that they always use to coordinate the event mysteriously got chiggers, and Sarah Paulson knows exactly what a chigger is and is telling them how horrible it is. It, it implies that she was the one that gave the person the chick. I like that they say she's overqualified and so she mispronounces gala and then they're like, oh no, you're not overqualified. You don't know what that word is. So you're in now. There is a lot of happenstance. There's also a lot of fake hacking with Rihanna's nine ball because they create a thing where Banksy, and I'd heard that name. I didn't know a lot about Banksy. I had to Google him. You don't know about Banksy? No, I'd heard the name. I knew he was an artist. I didn't realize in 2005 he'd actually put a painting in the Met. I feel like he's the artist of our times. He is the Andy Warhol of our times because it's punking. It's street art, but it's also anti-establishment. Banksy work appears where you least expect it and where it's least wanted in corporate America. Here's my question, though, because in Ocean's Eleven, there's a whole thing. They're digging under the casino, and then some unrelated robbers set off some alarm, so security was tripled, whatever. Here, did Banksy actually show up? Because we see Deborah walking through, and she gives eyes to Tammy, I believe, who then goes to talk to a security guard, and he's like, excuse me, something's going on over here. I thought she was, like, distracting the guard so Deborah could stick that up there, and it somehow got blamed on Banksy, because that's what he would do. No, that's, I think, what they did. They framed Banksy, and yeah. it was Debbie who put that up. They're hoping that that's the presumption when they slap a bunch of female faces on George Washington crossing the Delaware. And so that is going to send that security team of the Met into a tizzy, and they're going to want to spy on that. This is Rihanna's moment to shine. And that's rough to do, because I want to say she's kind of got the Madonna curse, right? Like, Rihanna has pop hits galore. I think she has the most number one singles of any artist of the aughts. But when you put her in a movie, it's Battleship, it's Valerian. <laughs> you see her in Valerian? <laughs> she is box office poison. Terrible. Unacceptably bad. It, it is a, a major accomplishment that she comes across here as merely adequate. She is not funny. She's not good. But she's not as bad as she was in Battleship and Valerian. Agreed completely. Having seen Battleship, not seen Valerian. But again... I didn't recognize this was Rihanna. I didn't see a lot of pre-material about this. I, in the back of my mind, knew Rihanna was in it. But when I'm watching this movie, I don't know Aquafina. I couldn't remember Mindy Kaling's name. Sarah Paulson looked familiar. And I did not recognize Rihanna under that wig with her accent and everything. They were really going Jamaican on her. Well, she is Jamaican. Right, and they were playing that up. Well, yeah, she ends up putting on a rainbow knit hat and smoking a blunt. Again, the, my problem with the humor of this movie is it's dishonest. That was humor? It's blunt humor, Jacob. Oh, that's even worse than anything in this movie. <laughs> I don't know about anything in this movie. <laughs> but again, it's very broad and it's very obvious, and you do wish that the screenwriters worked as hard as these actresses are to be entertaining, because they're all dressed up with nowhere to go. Yeah, I'm watching this, waiting to be impressed. I don't have any problems with this cast. It's got the style. It's just not shot the same way as those Ocean's films, so that's fine, but this cast doesn't seem to be clicking for whatever reason. I'm going to blame the writing, because I just bore through it all, waiting for me to be one over by this group. My problem is never with the cast clicking. I think anytime they're on screen, their chemistry works. Do you feel like you're part of this group? I, I went back and listened to our other Oceans reviews before this. I didn't watch the films, but that first Oceans 11 with George Clean Brad Pitt, the remake, 
we felt like, yeah, we're part of this group. We're in with them. They're taking us along. I just never felt that. I just always felt like, oh, I'm watching some people reciting lines from a really bad script. Yeah, this is my problem is with the script. I don't think the dialogue is as clever. What I really found myself missing was Soderbergh's touch. If you've seen Logan Lucky, yeah. he brings that Ocean's feel to Logan Lucky. And even though it's now Southern people at a racetrack, you still get the rat-a-tat delivery. You still get the quirky characters. You still get humor that they set up in the first act and you're laughing at in the third act. Here, I felt like everything was very dry. And when we're 45 minutes in, they've got the team together. Rose is getting Daphne and they go to scan the necklace. I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, we're only 45 minutes in this? I've got well over an hour to go. It feels like it's dragging because there's only one con. This whole thing is set up for one job and they do it way too early in the film. I mean, the biggest complication here is that this group is the insane clown posse and don't know how how magnets work. Like, that is their big hiccup. They got to get a strong magnet. That seems to be the real issue here, is that these writers are afraid of conflict. They want these women to look powerful, so they never make them sweat. They're never given a challenge that they have to go an extra step and have to rethink their sense of purpose. Everything goes according to plan, and everyone is here to do exactly one thing. Some people matter here, some people don't. Again, I don't even think you need the fence until you have the jewels. I don't know why Sarah Paul and is needed to be brought in to Vogue magazine, but you get my point. When they show up, they do their bit, and there's really, it's not hard for them. At one point, Rihanna is like, oh, see, it's easy. I've created a 12-foot blind spot in front of the women's room, and he only needed nine feet. Yeah, I don't understand that scene. Like, they hack into the security system by making a fake dog site. Oh, that's wonderful, because they said to PDF, never open an attachment on your computer. (laughs) That is true. Never open one. And this guy loves his dog so much, she sends him a dog attachment that's embedded with a virus in a PDF. That is actually real. Now, when she's recording videos and it says the file's a JPEG, somebody needs to be fired on their technical consulting staff. Here's the thing. She moved the camera. And later on, at the end, we'll see at one point they just hold stills in front of the cameras yeah. to, to get away by stealing stuff. This is just there to fill time. I felt like after she moved the camera, she could have gone home. They mentioned she has other clients. She could probably be dealing with them and not sitting in a halal truck. <laughs> no, they had to get her sister to bring in a magnet. Yeah, with the heist is going down, at one point, she's painting her toenails. And I agree. Yes. This is the kind of plot where you can be doing other things while it's going on. The fact that she has to put on a dress at one point to walk in so she can take, like, three of the diamonds and put them around her wrist, that's really all you got for us? Well, that's an inside joke we don't get. Because apparently, when there is the annual Met Gala in real life, Rihanna is the queen. Every year, she shows up and stuns. She's the headliner at the event. So they were making a joke by keeping her in the halal truck and keeping her dressed down until the last minute. We don't get that joke. We don't follow e-fashion. And I'm a little prouder of all of us for it. But that's what they were doing. But you said that they can't make the women look weak. I agree. But you know what else? This movie was plagued with rumors of, quote, cat fights, unquote, on the set. Mm. That Kate Blanchett and Anne Hathaway didn't get along. Of course, they're all saying, no, that's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. But you can't have infighting either, because there was a stand-up comic who made a joke about wouldn't it be great if they made Ocean's Eleven with all women? 
but then two of them would go off on their own and just talk smack about the other nine. I mean, that was the joke, is that women would do that and be catty to each other. They're going to show camaraderie here, but it's less interesting if there's nothing in a dynamic where they don't get along, where you don't have anything except a whole lot of happiness. The only thing we get close to strife is when Lou tells Debbie, if you're going to make Claude the Mark, I'm out. You don't do a con in a con. And if you do that, I'm out. And Debbie says, well, I'm doing it. And Lou goes, okay. There's a lot of issues when you're making an all-female movie. We want them strong characters. But then it feels like you're almost taking away the antagonist or the conflicts that you would have in other films. And I think of Bridesmaids, which was a huge all-female comedy. You got women shitting in the street. Like, they were doing the raunchy stuff that you'd see in a male comedy. It was still working with men. Here, it feels more pandering, where it's just like, oh, it's going to be about makeup and fashion. And we're not going to have real characters. I want an all-female cast. They've been talking about all-female Expendables forever. I want that movie! I hate the Expendables films, but I want that movie, but I want these well-rounded characters that are interesting to watch. Just don't sell me it because it's all girls. I want to just clarify where I'm at with this. While I'm recognizing that this movie is not as intricate as any previous Oceans movie, it's passing the time fine. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't feel like I'm looking at my watch. I'm not feeling like this is taking too long. I never looked at my watch, partly because I didn't have a watch. But I, I felt <laughs> like it's it goes down easy, but I always felt ahead of it. And that is unusual. For an Oceans film, you're always wanting to be surprised. You always see jobs within jobs. The fact that there's only one job inside the job is frustrating. And the fact that it's got to deal with a guy that, again, Richard Armitage... He has one scene at the beginning, and then we have one scene of him in, as a flashback. We establish that he was an art dealer who seemed for a time to like Sandra Bullock. They were working well, that she would drive up the price of art. She would play the other one bidding on art, and so it would make somebody pay too much for what he was selling. And then it gets kind of nebulous. I don't understand. At one point, I guess he's trying to sell a stolen piece of art Bullock is the buyer is that what happened here's what I think it is it's nebulous I think he's got forged art and she has to pose as the creator mm. to meet with the buyers and she has to sign something saying she's the creator of this art and it's actually a sting operation because they know this guy's been selling bad art and then he probably really likes her but he likes freedom more and so he says he was defrauded and he'll testify against Debbie in exchange for full immunity Mm -hmm. So she goes to jail and he claims he's as big a victim as anybody else in the scam. So he gets away scot-free. But yeah, there's not enough of that. And you said you felt ahead of this movie. I felt behind this movie because I'm like, there's always a twist. There's always the gotcha moment. There's always the thing that goes wrong in the heist where it's like, oh shit, it's all going to go wrong. I'm like, where is it? Where is it? No, this movie's a step ahead of me because it's not got any twist. They show those crown jewels so many times and I thought that was going to be the original heist. I'm like, okay, something's going on with those crown jewels. They keep walking through that room. They're just not going to tell us. It's the magnet. The magnet is the fact that on the day of, when we finally get there, we find out that Daphne and Hathaway is going to have these two guys following her around. One used to guard the Pope, one is ex-Massad, and they are alone have
have this magnet that can open the necklace. This should be a point of major headache for them. We should see all kinds of crazy things. This is the kink you're talking about. I rejoiced when this happened and Helena Bonham Carter is taping it and she sends it to Rihanna and Rihanna suddenly doesn't look like it's easy anymore, but then they solve it so easy. This is where I'm really, again, attacking those screenwriters of like, no, you can't just have some random character we haven't seen before walk in babbling something I've never understood <laughs> and handing us the MacGuffin solution. No, that is unacceptable in a heist. You have them work through the problem. You don't gift them a Dussex Machina. No, yeah, you, you have plan B and you find out Debbie had a contingency the whole time. Yes. And Gene, we never knew it. The fact that, yes, they're stealing other jewels is not a sufficient twist. The fact that they pull this heist off so easily. Everything goes their way. And how about this for an idea? Claude, what if he had his own angle for dating Daphne? Maybe if he wanted to steal the jewels, they'd find out and they have to work with him. I mean, there are ways of bringing Claude into this plot and deepening it and tightening it that would make it oh so much more fun. Except we have the director of Seabiscuit who's also the primary screenwriter. Yes. A couple of things I did enjoy during this heist, a couple of just little moments. One is right before she has to puke, Daphne is supposedly entertaining the entire table with how she had to curtsy before the queen. Is this a reference to the Princess Diaries? Yeah, it might be. I saw that a very long time ago. Only part of it, though. My little sister is watching it, not for my enjoyment. I haven't seen it, but the whole thing of learning to curtsy kind of made me think that Hathaway was getting a little bit of an in-joke there. The other thing I liked is when they steal the necklace and it goes into the kitchen on the dirty dishes and I'm scared to death that like the waiter's going to see them. I'm actually into this heist a little bit thinking that the busboy's going to end up with the $150 million necklace. They should have done that. It would have been more fun. <laughs> but a little production thing. It goes in and Amita is posing as a dishwasher. She puts the diamonds in the dirty dishwater and the camera goes with it. Did you guys notice the score? It sounded like music underwater at that point. It got all muted and kind of bubbly. And then when the camera came back out of the water, it went normal again. Nice little touch. This film's got so few of them. The score is kind of half doing the bebop jazz that the Ocean's Clooney era did. but It's trying. They know they don't need to push it that hard because we've moved beyond that. We aren't searching to recapture that era. So they're really just doing enough of it to make it feel like an Ocean's movie. Yeah, every so often I'd write down, ooh, this score kind of reminds me of the first one. So I like it, but mostly it's pretty bland. But these boots are made for walking is no a little less conversation. Yeah, that's when I got into it. It. <laughs> it is funny that they play it as they're all walking out. None of them are wearing boots, I don't think. I think they're all wearing heels. But. And again, it's a female Sinatra. It's Nancy Sinatra's song. When this heist goes down again, they want to sell us, oh, this is so super hard. There are cameras everywhere. And when that necklace goes missing, they have to clear the room. But then Tammy, for some reason, everyone is just willing to go along with this. Oh, look, I found the jewels in this fountain. Well, that was never the plan. But why does anyone believe that? Why does the security guards, like, they should be questioning Tammy a whole lot more. The fact that this is so easy for them is very uh, upsetting. Yes, it is way too easy, and it happens too early. I can't believe 
that after they do the heist, remember Ocean's Eleven, they do the heist, it's finally over, we get to see them staring at the Bellagio with the music playing, it's that wonderful moment as they one by one fall off, and the movie's over then. It's done. We have the heist here, and they get out, and we still have like a half an hour of movie left where the single best comedic presence, James Corden, comes in way too late. He should have been the one who was brought in the moment they asked about the necklace. He was there the whole time. He was the enemy and also a funny presence, not... Hey, the heist has gone down. Now I'm an insurance investigator who's either going to find the necklace or find the fraud. He's great when he's talking about, I've seen thoroughbred racehorses thrown in leaf shredders. Yeah. It's too little too late of that energy. I want to say where I'm at, though, the way Stuart did. I'm enjoying the film as it is. I'm just disappointed in it. I'm having fun, but I'm not having the fun I should be having. I expected more. This movie is not living up to its potential, if I can quote what every teacher told me in high school. It could have done so much more with what it had. And instead, it's passing the time, but I just couldn't believe how much after the heist there was. For me... At this point, I'm like, ah, I'm not hating it. It's kind of boring. It's kind of blah. It's just kind of there. When you get the moment where, as weird as it is, all the women are going to show up in their fashion gowns with their jewelry on. I'm like, oh, okay, I kind of like this. This is finally getting that energy of the original Oceans film. And then James Corden comes in for like five minutes. I'm like, okay, I'm into this. Oh, the film's over. I'm surprised you guys like Corden as much as you do. He does nothing for me here. Did you see how unfunny the rest of this film is? He makes almost no impression. I'm feeling like they need to use more of the fashion industry. They have Anna Wintour in this film. They have Kim Kardashian in this film. Isn't she the inspiration for this whole thing anyway? Remember when she had that robbery in 2016 that everyone alleged she and Kanye staged a jewel robbery so that they could get more publicity? I feel like it would have been fun to bring that in here. Here, it's just quick clips, but maybe because they can't act or maybe they don't want to take the time to film a movie, but it just feels like, wow, you have these elements... But you don't use them. And again, you have these actresses and you're not getting the best out of them. And I just feel like time and time again, everything is very surface. And the only twist we get at all of this is that Daphne, Anne Hathaway, figures it out. She's on to them. She's not as stupid as she had pretended to be. She never pukes. And... Rose was not at all subtle with her camera phone taking pictures of the magnet and Daphne saw Debbie at the gala and so she wants in or she's going to turn them all in to John Frazier. I would like this more if she figured it out at the party and they we saw in real time her turning and seeing how it, she could use it to her advantage. Again, the fact that so much is done off screen, I know that's an element of the high stuff and because I want more complication. I want more machinations. I want more things happening in the foreground and in the background that this is almost the last seconds of the movie when we find out that she was one of them feels like a mistake. I wanted to see her play with the other girls. And the fact that they beat Frazier by just buying him off in a very simple solution. They don't beat him. They just say, hey, we'll give you 10%. Help us frame this guy. Is that what they did? They gave him 10%? I thought they were saying that they were going to give him 10% 
to take back to the insurance agency. I didn't realize he was pocketing that 10%. I wondered what the hell was going on because he knows Debbie did it. They get together at a diner and Debbie's like, I'm going to hand you Claude. What would you say for 10%? I thought he was taking that back and being like, we found the diamond thief because he has 10%. Well, all the money they make from selling that necklace... I'm assuming he gets to take back because they get these old women to go and auction it off as their own jewelry. But then re- early on, Deborah's like, oh, I'm trying to get into this count. I just want to make a deposit. That's going to come up in the third act here where she puts all that money into Becker's account, which I guess they shared when they were working together. No, they didn't. That's why she needed to make the deposit and get the number. Oh, okay. But I'm assuming that's they're going to get all their money back and get the jewels back from there. So the insurance is good. But yeah, they stole these other jewels and they're going to give 10% to Frazier. Yeah, and it, and they needed Anne Hathaway, not only because she might have turned them in, but because she can plant the diamond on her date, which is Claude. Another silly thing that they just kind of put them together and without really exploring why he just became her date for the gala and then she goes back to him sends a photo on her phone and that gives james corden enough evidence to march in there and make that arrest here's the biggest logical hole in this movie i have to ask so daphne's in the team she's going to help frame claude yeah she goes up there and she's playing all sex kitten and writhing on him and she takes him to bed and handcuffs him Then she's like, I'll be right back, and goes, gets the diamonds, she knows exactly where they are in the coat, photographs them, he's still handcuffed, he's like, where are you? We then cut to the next day, he's not handcuffed, he's waking up, what happened in between there? Now, knowing this movie is what it is, I'm sure Daphne didn't sleep with him, but I would have liked to have seen at what point she takes the handcuffs off of him, and why he doesn't immediately think that bitch set me up, because that's why she handcuffed me. I don't know if you saw Red Sparrow this year with J-Law, who has a rush spy that used their tradies their sexuality to get this kind of stuff i was kind of thinking yeah she went through with it to get this money i didn't even think about it at all again it, it's not that i need every loop closed and that's not the biggest plot hole Arnie. there's a lot yeah more. <laughs> i agree there are larger things at work here well yes the pacing and the fact that we're still going on about this heist that was successful and then the big twist at the end is not even to get them out of danger it's that Rihanna says, wait, you only sold this for $85 million. How are we all getting $13 million? Oh, wait, there's more. We stole more jewels because we brought yen from the older film. We had to bring in a dude, finally, to really make the money. I thought you didn't want him. You wanted her. But it's so convenient here at the end. It reminded me what this movie needed, which is that here's somebody that's an acrobat that is doing some really complicated stuff to get over those laser trigger alarms. You want that. You want to see people work really hard to steal something. And this reminded you that it was, I mean, we had seen in an earlier shot, Lou had bought like a toy boat and that was the setup for this scene. But I felt like it should require a lot more than a toy boat and someone from Ocean's (laughs) Eleven to solve this problem. Yeah, I love the laser grid. He had to work his way through. It would have been wonderful if that had actually been a plot point. Like, oh my God, there's this laser grid and we have to practice and we have to set up demos the way they did in Ocean's Eleven. They didn't here. But this is the big twist that they don't want to reveal like they do in all those Ocean's films, except they kept showing that room. So I'm like, oh, there's jewels in there. They, they want those ones too. I can't say that I guessed it, but again, it also doesn't 
feel like it's that amazing either. Here's the most upsetting thing to me with this film. The end of that Ocean's Eleven, they all kind of just walk away. And it's a big deal. You can't spend this money right away. Andy Garcia is going to find you. Here it shows us what they all do with their money. All of a sudden, they're all super rich and Nine Balls got her own billiards parlor. I'm fine with all of it, except for Aquafina's Constance, who's like a baller on social media saying, look at all my money. Look at all my stuff. I mean, it is a step away from James Franco's look at my shit from Spring Breakers (laughs) on YouTube or Insta or something. I'm like, the cops are coming for you, or at least the IRS is. But all of them getting off a subway at different stops is no Bellagio fountain, is it? No, but my issue is with what they went through, they didn't work as hard to get there. So, of course, the epiphany is not going to be as meaningful. And did Daphne need 30 million extra dollars to become a director? Isn't that what she makes a picture? I would think she makes at least 10 and has done more than three pictures. But that's what I like about it is she didn't do it for the money. She did it because she didn't know any females, you know, like she wanted girlfriends. She was bored. She parlayed this into a directing gig with a lookalike of herself, I thought was actually the best punchline of this epilogue here where we see everyone. Yeah, I did love when she's like, it's not that hard. Yeah, that was fun. Faster and more intense. I mean, that's, we all know that line. (laughs) Yeah, faster and more deranged. But isn't it kind of sad about Debbie Ocean? She did her big score, the thing she wanted to do. Lou leaves. I don't know where Lou goes. She's motorcycling off of a beautiful coastline. Well, I got the sense that she was unhappy running her bar. We see her in the beginning kind of just trying to make an extra buck by watering down the vodka. She was tied down and she wanted to be free. So now she's hitting the road while other women are getting their businesses like Rose and Constance. This is someone that is freed again to do whatever she's going to do. But Debbie, she has all this money. She has no dream. Everybody else has their dream. They're living the dream. She has all this money. She goes to a grave with a martini. That is a downer ending. And again, I thought Clooney was going to walk up behind her and pick up that martini. Did not happen. We're going to have to take her word that Clooney would have loved it. You know, that was the sentiment that what she pulled off would have really impressed her brother. And hopefully it did. I mean, maybe I haven't heard in the press whether Clooney has said publicly what he thought of the film. I know he didn't want to make another Oceans film, but I don't think he would mind that Bullock has carried on the torch. Well, do you guys mind? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Ocean's 8? Jacob. I think we've hit the big problems with this film. Characters and conflict. They're both not there. Again, there was infighting. There was antagonists with those other Oceans films. This one just didn't seem to have it. There's some style. Like, I like how Kate Blanchett looks and her swagger. And I like that moment where they all get to put on the ball gowns and the jewelry and, like, walk out of the gala. All that's cool. That feels like an Oceans film. But I just... At the end of the day, I couldn't tell you anything about these characters, who they are, who's Lou, who's Deborah. I don't know what makes them up. I think the scene that's most telling for me is at one point, Lou, Kate Blanchett's character, is in that halal truck and she's going to leave and someone's like, hey, make us a sandwich real quick. And she's like, I got to go. We're closed. Come on, just do it real quick. And you see her pick up the knife and carve something I'm like, oh, this is going to delay her and that's going to cause problems. Nope. I don't know if that was a joke. I don't know what the point of that scene was. It goes nowhere. But I kept waiting for some kind of hang up to this plan that never happens. In the end of the day, it's, it's kind of a harmless film, but it's just not very interesting. So not recommend. Stewart. To me, the math works out right. I mean, Ocean's 8 is about as two-thirds as good as 
Ocean's Eleven. It's a lesser film, and it's not a lesser film because they went with an all-female cast. They have the charisma to pull it off. It doesn't work as well because the script doesn't make them work for it. They made Clooney and his gang really work to rob that casino. And here, it's just way too easy for them. It's too easy for the audience. Again, Rihanna's painting her nails. I mean, it just, you can sense (laughs) that they don't even need the eight that they have here. So that's too bad. It is a mild recommend, though. I'm going to take a different stance than Jacob because I do feel like their energy is enough. It's an easy enough watch. I didn't laugh a lot, but I enjoyed myself. I thought that it had its own kind of swagger. It kept the franchise above that median line from being mediocre bad. That is all the reason. The heist is just good enough to support these ladies being entertaining for their audience. So It's mediocre good, not mediocre bad. That's why it's a recommend. Yes, that is exactly why it is. (laughs) It's not Ocean's 12, is what you're saying. Exactly, and it has its own swagger, but yeah, I spent the whole time wishing if there was one man that they needed, it was Soderbergh. As Arnie said, watch Logan Lucky. He still got it. He has the power to have delivered the script and the film that they deserve and for whatever reason he made Unsane instead and they were stuck with a director that did not help them fulfill their dreams. It's not as good as Ocean's Eleven by a long shot. It's not as bad as Ocean's Twelve by a long shot. So it's in that area of Ocean's Thirteen in a movie that stars a lot of women who own the screen. The failure here is a man and his name is Gary Ross. And it's because this was his baby. He went to Soderbergh, said, let me do it. He then co-wrote the script with somebody who's never written a script before. Did he spend five years on this script like Bullock spent five years on her plan? (laughs) He did. I think that might be why she spent five (sighs) years. He isn't demanding enough. He doesn't sit there thinking this film needs to be cleverer. He thinks, oh, this is fine. And I just want to point out the Hunger Games franchise got better when he left as well. Yeah. Here's my problem and why I think I'm really revolting against this film. This film is fine, but this has been a year of bland, fine, but underwhelming films. You sound like Han Solo. It's fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) It is not unlike Solo. Yeah. Yeah. I'm (laughs) tempted to backlash on the lack of spirit I've seen in nearly all theatrical releases this year, including this one. The lack of risk-taking. The lack of individuality. The sole standout. The one beacon of filmmaking I've seen in theaters this year is Black Panther. I also think... A Quiet Place was very good. But the most theatrical releases have been fine. In a vacuum, this movie is fine. I shouldn't punish it for being just the next in a chain of flavorless, quote, blockbusters, unquote. I saw those trailers before this film, Peppermint, Girl in the Spider's Web, Widows. They all looked like they had more flavor than the film I ended up watching. They all looked like they'd been a better time but it is fine so i'm gonna give it a really mild recommend i just am tired of fine i want good but you're still recommending it yeah it's fine it's adequate see i'm sick of fine this summer so i i know i've been the grumpy one but i'm just so sick of fine but you can't 
review a movie based upon your mood coming in from seeing other movies. Oh, no, no. This is just another mediocre film. Stop being mediocre and I'll like the film. That's fair. I mean, again, putting in context what we should really be looking at, not this summer, but the franchise itself, Clooney's Oceans is really the only one you need to see. That Ocean's Eleven yep. from 2001 is really the only one. Not even the Rat Pack. Just Clooney. Yeah. But again, none of them terrible, but none of them great except for Clooney's Ocean's Eleven. And I'm a little bit excited by what I've heard bandied about as the idea for the next film, which would be Sandra Bullock and her crew going up against Danny and his crew. Mm. They're already doing Infinity War in the Ocean's universe? I would actually think that having two crews kind of like, remember we had the French guy in Eleven? It was actually fun that you had two crews trying to do similar heists, but I think that could really work with such a powerhouse. But this film costs $70 million to make. It's all salary. There's no CGI. I'm sure there were some really expensive outfits that I can't appreciate because I'm not into the world of fashion. But you got a lot of Oscar winners here that have a lot of zeros on their paycheck. You start bringing Clooney, Pitt, and Damon. There's a lot more zeros on those paychecks. At what point can't you afford the stars to make that movie? Yeah, I don't know if you had to pit them against each other. It would be enough just to take some of uh, of each and make another team. I mean, where it's gender neutral. I mean, we, we could do that. I mean, I'd be <laughs> fine with that. Just as long as it's more than Elliot Gould. I think you need more star power than Elliot Gould. <laughs> I would be perfectly fine with this cast reteaming for Ocean's 10, but... You mean 9. Or whatever. <laughs> I think it should honestly be Ocean's 4. <laughs> really, maybe we drop one and we just make it Ocean's 7 and we start counting backwards and we get more to a core group i'd be fine with this team returning so long as gary ross doesn't he is the fatal yes. flaw this cast brought power to the screen each one of them shined in my mind in their roles it's telling that i like the tinder scene really well in some of those other little moments that they have when it's not plot related. It actually adds nothing to the film except giving the actors a chance to show their charisma. I really like the cast. Yes, it's called making characters, well-rounded characters. This film doesn't do that. It's one of the few moments. Bullock, Blanchett, maybe Hathaway, and Aquafina. That's all you need. Ocean's Fuller. That's all I want. <laughs> You just want Aquafina so you can keep saying that name. Yeah, kind of. She was fun. I get, <laughs> she was my favorite, although I can't say she did anything that great. Well, speaking of pretty good, we're going to finish off the week of four podcasts this week tomorrow with The Purge Anarchy, the second in our Purge retrospective series. Just two weeks till the first Purge happens. I can't believe we're two weeks away from 4th of July. And then shortly after that, Incredibles 2 on the main feed. I know that's going to be a big movie this week, and you will hear that show. Yeah, by the time you guys are hearing this recording, I will have already seen both Incredibles films. I'm going to the marathon on Wednesday night, and people think I don't like that first film. I don't know why. I gave it a green arrow. You can look in the archives. It's got three green arrows. It's all about how you color that green in. My memory was you gave it a red. I, that's important news <laughs> yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. I did not remember that you liked it. <laughs> yes. I liked it well enough for a green arrow. Huh. But I can't say my mouth's watering for a sequel. We're getting one anyway. So that's going to be on the main feed on Tuesday. But yes, we have had so many shows this week. Enter the Dragon for our patrons. Purge Anarchy for our donors and our patrons. Mortal Kombat 2. 
and then this and Incredibles and Jurassic World coming up and all of this we're doing, we could just really thank our donors for the financial support that makes this possible. One listener on Twitter said, why did you guys come out with Mortal Kombat today? Just come out with Oceans on Thursday. You didn't have to do a show on Tuesday. I'm not going to break a seven-year streak of shows on Tuesdays. <laughs> Damn it, we'll do four shows a week before I break that streak. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm never sleeping again. <laughs> It is thanks to donors that we have the editing team and the production team and the hosts and the ability to see all we see. So if you haven't donated yet, we could really use your support. There's all the details by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage and you can get up to 28 bonus podcasts with the Jurassic series, all the Jaws and Deep Blue Sea podcasts, all of the Purge and just a ton of Pacino. Yeah, as cop and as criminal. And so much more coming up. We hope you'll join us for all of it. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And we have to go now. It's time for a little less conversation and a little more action. Now, I have complied with your every request. Would you agree? I would. Good, because now I have one of my own. Run and hide, asshole. Run and hide. If you should be picked up next week by a $100,000 sports car in Newport Beach, I'm going to be supremely disappointed because I want my people to find you. And when they do, rest assured, we're not going to hand you over to the police. So my advice to you again is this. Run and hide. That is all that I ask. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. This is just the best part of my day. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another in-depth movie review. It's fun time, Jimmy boy. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archive, you can find reviews of other films, such as all the James Bond films, The Avengers, RoboCop, Rambo, Die Hard, Saw, and hundreds more. What, did you guys get a group rate or something? While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this movie review with other listeners. They told me to come see you. Oh, did they? Well, I'm sure glad they did. They did. <laughs> they told me. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. I almost, I almost wasn't going to come over and say anything. And then I'd still be sleeping. And please remember, your support is what keeps Now Playing operating. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks. I'd have to pay you by check. Let's, or we could just take the cash. Yeah, let's yeah, let's just stick to that. Now playing is edited by Arnie. That guy's a machine. 
Now playing credit narration by Brock. Impression a little bit that I rushed. It felt like I rushed. That was good. I liked it. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. In this town, your luck can change just that quickly. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. I love technology. Because to look at you, I'd swear you were being evasive. But the machine says you're clean. I'm just a little nervous. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2018, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I'll turn it off when I'm ready to turn it off. It's off, it's off. Daphne Kluger, played by Anne Hathaway. Or as I put in my notes constantly, Amanda Kluger. I mean, the biggest complication here is that this group is the insane clown posse and don't know how, how magnets work. Like, that <laughs> is their big hiccup. Do the insane clown posse not know magnets? I don't get that reference. Oh, it's in a song. I don't remember the name of the song. But yeah, magnets, how do they work? That is a line from that song. <laughs> it is great. But 